0: All right, we got a special guest speaker today. It's hard to get this guy. This is Robin McMillan. I think most of you know him. If you don't, he's one of my uh, friend, close friends, actually. You know, I was thinking about the older you get, the less friends you have. <laughs> i thinking, what in the world kind of deal is this, Lord? Oh, I'm getting old. And I mean, but you only have really a few friends that, you know, over a long period of time. You'll find that out. But the ones you do have, you need to hang on to. I'll tell you that. Hang on to your friends because you don't get many that you get to keep. Yeah. over your period of life. But Robin really is a great friend of ours. He's the pastor of Morningstar Fellowship Church at Heritage International. He happened to be able to get the day off. I don't know if they know he's actually preaching here today. Okay, because he's, he's, this, this, he was off taking care of some business, and we was able to slide him in here like, oh, can you take a couple hours off your business and come over? So well, let's give Robin a big welcome, and he can just come and give what he's got.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, thank you very much. I'm a, although a lot of you really don't know who I am, there's so many people here that know more about me than I wish they did. <laughs> Some folks. There you go. That's one of them right there. That would be Chuck Moore. <laughs> Let me tell you why Chuck Moore is blessed. He gave his inheritance away 35 or 40 years ago and. That's an amazing thing. That really is. I honor Chuck for that. A lot of people don't know the stories uh, people here have. I'm just looking through the crowd, and I'm going to leave somebody out, maybe, but people I used to go to church with years ago, or that actually some of them I started out with spiritually, some of them I played Little League Baseball with in (laughs) 19th (laughs) century. But, of course, Chuck and Janet Moore and Charlie and Luann and Jim and Kathy Hill and Don and Linda Gein, Donna K. Culler, Venus, Tommy and Libby, Don and Alice Catrison, Barry and Betsy Morley, they still go here? They're not here today, are they? Uh, Yeah. And there are probably some more I'm missing, but uh, I think Don helped officiate my wedding. Don and I got married, gosh, 1976. And um, Don had on a brown suit. I was wondering, I was asking him earlier if he still had that suit, but it uh, didn't seem to resonate too well with him. So, yeah, <laughs> my goodness, I couldn't even think about wearing clothes from back then. But uh, anyway, I'm really, I'm really happy to be here, and I uh, greatly appreciate Byron and Becky in this congregation. You don't know how rare it is to have a church like this. Um, I just listed 15 people I've known for some of them. Uh, I've known Charlie Wallace for 47 years. And it's um, it's a remarkable thing to know people. And there's uh, <laughs> Pam. <laughs> See, once I started, I knew I was going to get in trouble, but that was a pretty good comeback. Anyway, um uh, <laughs> It's just, it's just really, really great to be here. Buzz and Ann panic are sitting over there, okay, and there's her daughter. She looks old enough to be my sister. I'm sorry, what was that? Are the Coxes here, where are they? Oh my goodness, hey folks, isn't that something? Anyway, thank you for being, letting me come. I, it's great to be here. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. My heart this morning is to communicate with you something that will help you. Um, be more spiritual in the hands-on, practical understanding of it. One of the things I was going to say earlier is there are a lot of people who are devout, but there are not a lot of people over over the years, but they're not honestly, there are not a lot of people who are devout that are truly spiritual. And when I'm talking about being truly spiritual, I don't mean you have uh, a large amount of spiritual information and you are capable of speaking a lot about the Bible. That to me is not really what it is to be spiritual. To be spiritual in the biblical New Testament sense, it means you have power to change people and circumstances. And if you don't operate in power to change people and circumstances, I think you need to reevaluate how spiritual you really are. May I be that blunt? Uh, I can be very offensive. I don't try to be. It just comes naturally. But um, I want to challenge you because the the church has a huge head. It's packed full of information. Matter of fact, the uh, methodology of establishing ministry from the seminary standpoint, and I'm not against seminaries, please don't misunderstand me, but a lot of times they're teaching people how to teach people, how to teach people, how to teach people, but they're not transforming circumstances, situations. And that's the reality of being a believer, is things change, people change, situations change, your family changes, your company changes, your neighborhood changes. And if that's not going on, we're not doing our jobs yet. Uh, We haven't arrived. It doesn't mean we haven't left. So please don't feel at all condemned about what I'm saying. Be challenged. By what I'm saying this morning. In Acts 413, let's you can listen as I read this or read along. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I don't believe they were either uneducated or untrained. They just weren't educated with the kind of education uh, that their, um, I don't know if enemies might be too strong a word, but those who opposed them, they didn't have the kind of education they thought they should have had to qualify them as educated people. But these guys had the, one of the uh, highest privileges of any 12 people in the world. They lived for three years in the presence under the influence of Jesus. Now, I say that's a high privilege. There's another privilege higher than that. According to Jesus Himself, that's being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, you cannot, um, from a biblical standpoint, excuse yourself from not being like one of these New Testament believers just because Jesus does not walk in the flesh when Jesus himself said, it's better for you that I go. Better for you means better. Better means not worse. Isn't it funny how we don't pay attention to words if it doesn't sort of line up with our experience? But that's what has to happen. Our experience has to bow to what we see in the Scripture. And when our experience doesn't tally with the Scripture, we can't find fault with the Scripture, we need to reevaluate who we are and what we're doing. And so when you look at the lives of Peter and John as described here in Acts chapter 4, they saw their boldness. They had something visible. I believe that the church should simultaneously have a good reputation and a bad reputation. You should have a good reputation from an honesty and integrity standpoint and a bad reputation as far as how people view you as not being normal. You should not be normal. When you know Jesus, you should not be normal from the um, viewpoint of the world. I think if people aren't talking ugly about your church, you're not doing anything yet. And church, to me, ought to be a place you're afraid to miss and afraid to come to, all at the same time. Now, if you look at the United States, is considered to be a Christian nation, millions of children have been aborted, uh, homosexuality, um, illicit, illegitimate concepts, lifestyles are abounding, then we have to ask ourselves if the kind of church we've had although these many years, 275 years, whatever the life of our nation, if that's good, why is our nation getting progressively worse? Now, I'm saying that to say this. You need to be radical, but I don't mean radical in your... Um, hostility towards people that disagree with you. You need, be, you need to be radical in your pursuit of God. You need to be radical in your hunger for the realm of the heavens so that you, when you call something down out of heaven, when you lay hold of uh, what you, know, you have access to in the heavenly realms, the earth takes notice. Something shakes. Something moves. Something bows. Some disease leaves. Some demon acknowledges you. I was uh, ministering to a young lady who was demonized, and um, she was pulling her hair out and scraping around on the floor. And uh, I, I, you don't talk about much of this in public, but I think we ought to. And because uh, it makes people nervous and it makes people afraid, that's, that's what demons try to do. And so these uh, young, young folks in our church have sort of stirred this demon up with trying to help this young girl, and they finally call me. And I'm no expert, but I do know some things. I know that I have authority in the name of Jesus. It's got nothing to do with how big I am or how tall I am or how much I weigh or how long I've known the Lord. It has to do with the confidence I have in the name of Jesus. And so when I began to minister to this girl, I told the demon, I said, now listen, you're going to shut up. Now, I told the young lady, and I'm not really speaking to you, dear. I'm talking to what's affecting you. And I'll tell you this, if you know anything about that realm, people who are going through some kind of deliverance don't remember what happened anyway. And so out of this young lady's voice came these words. I know who you are. And I said, you bet your life you know who I am. I'm the one that stands in the name of the Lord. And you are coming out. Now, that's an act of boldness. But it's not an act of boldness based on my my temperament. If the truth be known, I'm the biggest chicken in the building. If the truth be known, I'm one of the weakest people here, constitutionally, emotionally. You may think theologically, I don't know. But having understood that His strength is made perfect in weakness, and having understood that um, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, I can say this, lo, these uh, 35 or 40 years I've known the Lord, I've been uh, sexually pure, I've got one wife, I haven't cheated on her, and I honor and glorify God for that, but it has not come because I have a personal noble character, it's come because I've known a God willing to keep me because I know my limitations and my weaknesses. And so boldness doesn't come uh, from a personality. Boldness doesn't come from what family you grew up in or if you're male or female or not male or or black or white or whatever. It comes from knowing Jesus. Now, not knowing about Jesus. Actually, the reason I'm here, some of you may not know this, but Donna's daddy had a heart attack and he passed away. And years ago, the Lord authorized me and challenged me. It was my job to get him to heaven. Well, I didn't know how to do that. He was an old World War II vet, rough as a cob, gentle but started out digging ditches for one company, worked for them almost his entire life or his work life, became a construction superintendent, But I didn't know how to get him saved. People, you know, when Don and I got married, we lived in a Christian community with some of these other lunatics in here. And uh, they thought we were crazy. We got disowned, disinherited, disenfranchised, and dismissed. We did in a lot of ways. But we did it anyway. We weren't asking them what we ought to do. And so when my daddy-in-law got sick, um, we almost didn't see him again, but we did. And when we were there, um, I didn't take him through a formula, talking about that board with the formulas. Formulas equal witchcraft. You know, you can scream, get out in the name of Jesus all you want to, and if it's a formula to you instead of an expression of your relational knowledge of the man Christ Jesus, it doesn't work. And so with my papaws, what we call him on the bed, I said, uh, he looked terrible, honestly. I mean, anybody in the hospital looked bad. (laughs) Uh, I said, uh, God, God loves you. And he said to me, I know He does. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. This is my job. This is what I do. That's a great thing to be able to say when you know what to say. <laughs> Excuses all kind of behavior and permits all kind of license. I said, um, Jesus... I had him by the hand. I said, Jesus died to forgive your sins. I said, do you have a strong feeling about that? I said, if you do, just squeeze my hand. And he, he squeezed my hand. And I felt like saying, "Paul, you're square with the house. But I didn't. I said... That's a poker term. Anybody like to gamble, that's not, a bad, that's not a good thing to do, but you can understand some of that language. It's very descriptive. It means you're even. But I said, Papal, the deck's clear. I said, I don't know if it's going to be today, but whenever it happens, Jesus is going to help you get from where you are to where you're going. And he passed away later, early evening, went to sleep, never woke up, perfect peace, into the presence of Jesus. I didn't use the sinner's prayer, the four spiritual laws, and I'm not putting that down. But what I did was, you know, when Simeon picked up Jesus as an infant, he said, this is the salvation of Israel the salvation our salvation is a person and it's not i believe honestly i believe many people have signed cards even answered responses to gospel messages but never really met the person who is the salvation that's why you can do it wrong you cannot fully understand it you cannot believe in noah's ark and still get saved Because the manifestation and the representation of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, etc., etc., all of which I deeply hold to be true, you came into touch with the reality of that person. That's what happened to my father-in-law last night. Oh, it, 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 this, this was his, um, this was his response. He squeezed. He squeezed his way into heaven. Oh my God. Lord. What was I going to do? Now, Papaw, listen. <laughs> I want to hear you say this. Jesus didn't whip out something like that on Thief on the Cross. The Thief on the Cross, speaking to salvation himself, said, remember me. Remember me. <laughs> when you come into your kingdom and Jesus had the authority and the power to say, this day you shall be with me in paradise. I don't understand all that. Jesus died and resurrected three days, 40 days ascended. Oh, I don't, he knew what he was talking about and that's what happened. I just can't understand everything. But Peter and John had a boldness people could see. Now, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, Acts chapter 2, Peter's defense of the real impartation of the Holy Ghost was, he said this, that which you both see and hear, basically, he said, Jesus poured out from the throne. That drunkenness, see, people don't get that. I have a feeling God's a party man. Who wants to go to heaven and it not be any fun? Oh, I'm going to mess with you now. I'm going to mess with you now. And I'm unapologetic. So I'm apologizing about how unapologetic I am. (laughs) When the power of God visited the 120, observers said they're drunk. I want that to register for a moment. Now, this was the auspicious introduction to the world of the authentic, available, experiential power of God and independent witnesses described it as being drunkenness. Now... I have years, I've thought about this because I've been an adherent of spiritual drunkenness since 1973. One of the problems with that concept is alcoholism, etc., etc., and people's being, having been defiled or having alcoholism themselves or it in their family. But let me say this. Everybody has in them legitimate need for something they don't have on board. And if part of our faith is encountering God at the level where we become intoxicated, somewhat out of control, I believe it's important. And I'm just going to be this bold and say, children... Christian children go to drug addiction, go to alcoholism because there's nothing to drink in the church now now I'm, I'm saying all this in the context of what sorry shape our nation is in as a result of the condition of our churches, which which in many cases are learning centers for biblical instruction, but not demonstration centers for what it was like to be walking with Jesus 2,000 years ago, nor uh, regional distribution centers for the realm of the heavens. And what's been described as being a holy roller,
3: I fully endorse. I fully embrace. I'm not ashamed. I'm really not. I'm really not. I don't get being stiff and starchy and somehow thinking that's a representation of my heavenly Father. And when I read the Bible, with the very clear Scripture, Jesus Himself poured that Spirit out, the Holy Spirit. And what happened when He came was it messed people up. They quit being the way they were. And if you're the same, you need another drink. Now don't don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. And I am unashamed... You cannot back me off what I believe. I'm 57 and everybody I care about either agrees with me or is dead or has Alzheimer's. It's too late. I'm not going to be an international voice to the body of Christ because I'm terminally immature and radically touched by God to the degree that I don't know how to behave when I get in public. And you don't have to be like me. You get to.
2: Now, poor Apostle Peter. When the Holy Ghost was poured out, Peter said, "Um, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Have you ever thought through that? That the reasoning Peter gave that these authentic, spiritual, righteous, moral men could not be drunk was because it was too early? Here's my conclusion. Peter had already been drinking himself in the spirit realm,
3: and he didn't make that much sense. That doesn't make sense. That don't make no sense. If you were playing golf with a bunch of preachers, and the Spirit of God hit them and they fell down in the grass, would you hop up and say, oh no, they're not really drunk, it's just 830
2: How many of you saw that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That don't make no
1: sense.
2: All right. They weren't uneducated. They had had a three-year indoctrination, education, or impartation from a unique, uniquely qualified person. They were not untrained, but they had different training. Here's what Christians do today. They want to make sure everybody's character is noble, then give them something to do. Well, if you can wash commodes, you can be a parking lot attendant. If you wash our commodes, if you cut the grass, if you behave, we'll let you do something pitiful. And if you do pitiful 30 years, we'll let you do something mediocre. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now let me ask you one question. When did Jesus teach his disciples to wash one another's feet? At the... Which supper? First supper? Last.
3: He had one
2: apostle. He had two apostles on his staff, had a murder spirit. He had a thief on his staff. James and John, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven and just kill them? Just kill them. We can kill them. Jesus said, "No, I got, you got to get rid of that murder spirit before I can use you."
3: No, he didn't.
2: When did Jesus teach his disciples how to pray? Don't you think that's important? You're going to be an apostle. They're going to name books of the Bible after you. They're going to put your great artists are going to paint your picture and put Peter the apostle. You know. Don't you think it'd be important to know how to pray right off the bat? Come here, boys. Okay, I'll pick you out. Come here. All right, here's what you need to do. You need to know how to pray. If you can't pray, you can't do anything. People pray together, stay together. Blah, 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 (laughs) (laughs)
1: blah.
2: Oops. (laughs) Um, There was a demon they couldn't cast out. So they come back and say, how about teaching us to pray the way John the Baptist taught his boys to pray? In other words, teaching people what to do when they don't know they need to know is a waste of time. And one of Jesus' methods of discipleship was employing people who weren't ready and did not know what to do to be employed. And then when they messed up, he helped them. And then at the end, he said, by the way, you need some humility. By the way, you need to be a servant. But when you empower people who are servants only and don't know how to be productive and fruitful at casting out demons and preaching
3: the gospel and raising up leaders, you got a bunch of devout people not doing anything.
2: Jesus... Okay, that's a different message. But Jesus could find fruitful people with problems and make them apostles. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they said they were uneducated and untrained. Not really. They marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. What they got with Jesus... Was an impartation of his anointing and an opportunity to have a revelation of the heavenly realm, the realm of the heavens. Jesus preached the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Now, our generation, at least 25 or 30 years ago, when this discipleship thing was going on, leaders turned Jesus' method or Jesus' message into a method of controlling people. They called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God the government of God. And if you're in the government of God, you're in the rank, and if you're in the rank, you need to do this, you need to do that, and do the other. Jesus said very little about any of that. When He preached the kingdom of God, when He preached the kingdom of heaven, people got healed to the degree that Jesus could sit down in a city square and everyone who touched him would be made whole. Every one. And in the Gospel of Matthew alone, it says either three, four, or five times, depending on how you read it, that every single person that was sick got healed in his ministry. And when people say, well, what about the guy at the well and only one person got healed? I think Jesus was going to do something else and just heal that guy on the way. But why do we need to have all these reasons God doesn't do that? And something we're going to do at the end, we're going to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, and I don't mean the doctrine, I mean the faith, that was once delivered to the saints because in this earthly realm it's what you contend for that you get things can be given that you never get because you didn't contend is that making sense? Jesus said you know the kingdom of heaven this realm of the heavens this outpouring does not come with observation what did he mean? Amen? You can't sit around and look for it. You have to take the kingdom by force. You have to be so convinced about what God has done for you that you do not do without. Jesus, I don't even know where Jesus ever told us to pray for the sick. Do you know where He said pray for the sick? He said heal the sick. Well, I don't know how to heal the sick. I don't either, but it doesn't keep me from doing it. How to is way overrated. How would you heal the sick? Well, I don't know. Get a sick person up and say, be healed. Lay hands on them. I have seen people do this. People never used of God with a little bit of instruction. Lay hands on sick people and they get healed. See, in our minds... It's Benny Hinn, or it's Oral Roberts, or it's somebody, 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 because they got some special, they hung out with Captain Kuhlman. But Jesus said, repent, which means change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Anybody in here got hands? Look at your hands. You're looking at the location of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you feel that like buzzing in your hands right now? Yeah. I think you might be getting ready to have a stroke. You might want to get the, your blood pressure checked. That's <laughs> 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 <Messing> with you <laughs> No, they're manifestations, but um, being a simple-minded man, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is within you. It's big. It's big. Because it <laughs> I'm big. If it's in there. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I, I'll get somebody up. You sick? Yes. Okay, come here. I got this young lady up two weeks ago. She'd never done this before. A man with a heart condition came up. We brought him up. I said, now. Put your hand on him appropriately. She did. And I said, okay, how do you heal the sick? She said, I don't know. I said, I don't know either. But I don't think you have to know. How many use air conditioning? I just push that button, it works. I don't know how it works. I don't care how it works, as long as it works. I don't say, I'm going to sweat until I'm absolutely enlightened about how this works. Mm mm. Hot. Boop. Cold.
1: <laughs>
2: so you lay hands on the sick. Hop up here. You're not sick, are you? A little? Okay, okay. Don't get worse. Okay. <laughs> and this is Heather. Okay. Heather Wicker. Wicker. I knew that. I just got your name. (laughs) Okay, how do you heal the sick? I don't know. Be healed in the name of Jesus. That's a good one? Or they shall lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But Robin, you don't have a special anointing. Oh, who says? I might. It could happen. I break off the power of every inherited disease in the name of Jesus. Well, you can't do that. Yeah, why not? I know I can't if I don't say it. I could think. You feel the heat coming through my hands? You're a red-hot baby, and I mean that in every nice, kind way. (laughs) <laughs> you got to be quick when you're up here and don't know what you're doing <laughs> or you can say
3: fire come
2: <laughs> or you can say help God I didn't have that much use on it because God has helped. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You don't need to ask. We're not contending with God. We're not contending with heaven. We're contending for something given, for something promised, for something provided. God, listen, if God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, there's nothing left.
3: Every's all. All's every. There's not an each. There's not a one. There's not a sum. Every's all.
2: You getting better?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: okay. Yeah. I went to the movies yesterday. She could still get healed.
3: If my father in law died, I went
2: to the movies. Let me, let me say a few things here, and I'm not heartless. Everybody dies. I love reality because I don't have a choice. I led him to the Lord. He passed away. People are hurt. I'll cry. They'll cry. I went to the movies. I have an integrated faith.
3: I don't know what I'm doing and she's getting healed. Does that make any sense?
2: What are you doing? Just waving my hand. It doesn't do any good. If she thinks it does, it'll help her faith. If I think
3: it does, it'll help mine. You can even hear a rumor about a healing that's not even true and your faith can increase and you go do something for the kingdom because it's not about all that. It's about this inner disposition of true faith, which means you
2: trust God. You believe God. He has provided something.
3: Touch! You can do that. That'll work. Here's one of my favorite methods. Linbos kanamiasio parito Mukandas. Touch.
2: Jim Hill knows I'm a dangerous man. I broke his rib in a renewal meeting by giving him a bionic elbow in the name of the Lord. I didn't know that was going to happen. We were having fun. Church ought to be fun.
1: How you doing? What what did you, did
2: you get better? What was wrong with you?
1: breathe
2: is that better than you were Mm
1: -hmm. breathe
2: again a lot of people don't get healed until they do what they couldn't do before they were healed now you're gonna say that don't make no sense i'm not trying to make sense i'm trying to help somebody sense is what you got on board it's not working sense says, I'm sick, I'm going to die. No, let me give you my theology about why God heals. How many of you are ready? Get your pen and paper out. God heals because people are sick. God loves people better than fathers love their children in the world. Isn't that right? Your son, your daughter gets sick. What do you do? You pray, you do this, you take them to the doctor, you do everything you can to get them well. Heather, how you doing? You feeling better, really? Get up and testify. Come on.
0: About my sickness, <laughs> um, just, you feel better. Yeah, I mean, I I still got a little rattly, but I feel a lot better. I'm just I've been waking up in the middle of the night, just unable to. I'd breathe, I'd be coughing so badly that my heart would like race real bad and stuff. And my family's been real sick, so. Um,
2: well, we break the power off the sickness that has come to your house in Jesus' name, and Lord, although you may not be completely. We honor what you are doing. If you will pay attention to what is going on instead of what is not going on, more will happen. That's true. That's true. That's true. And many people really do get healed and the enemy brings their symptoms or condition back or a reasonable facsimile thereof and they take it back. You have to contend. You have to fight the good fight of faith. Turn with me to... um, John chapter two. I'm going to cause Byron all kind of theological difficulties with the rest of you this morning. And I honor Byron. Anything he says goes, you with me? But this isn't this isn't serious stuff. But um how many of you are familiar with the story of Nicodemus and Jesus? Well, if you're not, it's in um Acts I'm sorry, John chapter three. I want to set the stage though for for, for this conversation. First of all, let me say Nicodemus was the teacher in Israel. He was the supreme spiritual authority. Somebody say supreme Jewish spiritual authority. Just say that. Supreme Jewish spiritual authority. What was his job? His job was to know and enforce what he knew and stand for what was orthodox, I guess you could say. Well, at the end of John 2, verse 23, it says, Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he was constantly doing. Let's just say that together and I'll leave you alone a little bit. Constantly doing signs, he was. Signs. He was constantly doing. In the last chapter of John, in the second last chapter of the Gospel of John, later here in this very book, John writes two things. He says that if everything had been written down which Jesus did, the world could not contain the books. That's in John twenty-one, John twenty. You find this um, and many other signs did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. I have a vivid imagination. I could see Jesus, one of the signs Jesus did among his disciples that he didn't make the book. He could said, hey, boys, watch this. And he walked through the room. Then he'd walk up the wall, walk upside down across the ceiling, walk back down that wall, come over here and stand and say, what do you think about that? Now, various schools of thought would say that's utterly ridiculous. I would say if a man can walk on water, he can walk anywhere he wants to walk. Point one. And this isn't theological. It's just my opinion. I'm not necessarily a theologian. Point number two, people say, well, he wouldn't do that because it wasn't necessary. See, a lot of people have... Um, don't walk in what God has for them because they've been sold the bill of good that says God doesn't do for us things we don't need or that we don't want. But I have profound biblical evidence that that's not true. Actually, the first miracle Jesus did at the wedding at Cana was turned at least 120 gallons of water into wine they'd already had all they wanted the Bible basically says and it wasn't mediocre it was the best they'd ever tasted that's what the wine steward said <clears throat> why did Jesus do that if you read the text it was to manifest forth his glory <laughs> what does that mean it was to watch this What else does that mean? Manifest forth His glory, and you know, woo, yeah, that's what it was. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm leaving it alone. No, he was saying, "Hey, you want to see what I can do? Give me that water. Take it to the steward. It's wine. Let me ask you this question: Where did that wine come from? Heaven." Uh, When Jesus took the biscuits and the fish, divided, what do you do when you divide five biscuits into twelve? You don't have much biscuit. And then he sends you out to companies of five, six, seven thousand hungry people. What do you think, a bread truck and a caterer popped up out of the ground and they started dishing out stuff? I don't know. But it says in one gospel, divided them up. And so here's poor Apostle Peter. I don't know where it grew. In his hand, in the air, in the reception of it, in their mouth. Maybe it's like liver. The more you chew it, the bigger it gets. I don't know. (laughs) My wife fixed the liver once in 1973.
1: (laughs) It was enough.
2: And when they were through, there were 12 baskets. I have this question. Where did the baskets come from? Where did the food come from? Heaven? Now, Nicodemus was well aware that Jesus was constantly doing signs in Jerusalem at the Passover so he comes to him in John 3 there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews this man came to Jesus by night and said to him teacher we know that you are a teacher a rabbi we know you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him Jesus answered and said what do you answer A question. Let's go through that. I want to be sure everybody understands. It's pretty deep. Jesus answered and said, what do you answer? A question. What question did Nicodemus express? What was his question? Let me read it again. Rabbi, we know that your teacher comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What was his question? No, 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 that was precluded. He said no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So he knew God was with him. He was the teacher of Israel. He knew God was with him. But what was the difference in Nicodemus and Jesus? I want you to get this. If you don't get it, you heard something great, but you walked away. What was the question Nicodemus was asking Jesus?
3: This is vital. How do you do this stuff? I'm the teacher of Israel. I've never seen anything like this.
2: And Jesus begins to explain it to him. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born from above... He can't see the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what Nicodemus' question was not. How can I know I'll go to heaven when I die? And that's how everybody interprets these verses, because that's what they've been taught. But as long as you have wrong conclusions relative to something vital and important, you you never see the reality. You never see what God intends for you to see. Here's what Jesus was saying. I operate as a man out of the heavens. I was born from above.
3: If you're born from above, you can see
2: the kingdom of God. How many of you are bad at math? How many of you struggle with math? How many of you ever worked on a math problem and suddenly understood it? what would you say aha i see i perceive that's the word unless you're born from the heavens you nicodemus can't perceive this realm that i operate from well it gets gets a little deeper Nicodemus asked, who would ever ask this question? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't even want to talk about that. Most assuredly, verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of water, somebody say water, Water. and the Spirit, he cannot, what's the word? Enter. Enter. What is it to be born of water? Absolutely. That is not baptism. You do not get born again. How many of you were baptized as children in water and weren't born again? No, it's not water baptism. That's believer's baptism. Believers get baptized as they identify with this Christ Jesus that they have come to know. Then they want to be identified with his death, burial, and his resurrection. No, here's what Jesus is saying. Unless you're born of water, how many people in here are born of water? Do you know there are beings in here this morning maybe that aren't born of water? You remember the story I told you earlier about ministering to that young lady who was afflicted uh, demonically? Why did that demon want that girl? He doesn't have authority here. He wasn't born here. She was born here. And the most pitiful person born in the United States has much, much greater authority than the Prime Minister of Canada by birthright. Mahatma Gandhi, not a believer, could stand in his natural earth-born authority and change a nation by refusing to be wicked and refusing to yield we got more authority just in the natural realm than we understand. But Jesus said, um, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now people, once again, they read that and they think, enter when I die, heaven when I die, heaven when I die. That's been pounded into people. Jesus wasn't talking about dying and going to heaven. He was talking about living and going in and out of the realm of the heavens. And what he's saying, the reality of this heavenly birth is you perceive the realm from which you were born from. And you have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand according to Paul in Romans 5. You have access. You have access. You have access. I could go in the heavenly realm. Nobody would ever see me. And when I get back... Have something wonderful for somebody. Now, here's the marvel. Jesus said you could do it at will. Somebody say at will. Stand up and tell somebody at will. I want you to get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Everybody, back. Look at somebody and say at will. Amen. When I want to. When I want to. All right, sit back down. Now, Here's what I've said this morning. I've said you can, if you're born from above, you can perceive the kingdom. If you're born from above, you have access, you can enter, you can go in. And then I said just now, you can go when you want to. Why would I believe that? One verse, and we'll tie this up. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again or born from above. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wants to. Somebody say the wind blows where it wants to. Where does the wind blow? Does it ask anybody about it? No, it just blows. Where? It doesn't blow where it doesn't want to. It doesn't go where it doesn't want to. It goes where it wants to. You hear the sound of it. You can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everybody born of the Spirit. Who's born of the Spirit? Guess what? You can go where you want to. What's the context? Kingdom of heaven. Now, learning how to do it might be a little bit different, but I showed you an idiot can lay hands on somebody and help them. (laughs) See, people read that about the wind. They said, oh, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can go where he wants to. Everybody agrees with that. What they have not yet agreed with is so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And if you believe in the theological interpretive principle of context, it's in the context of Jesus telling Nicodemus how I do what I do. I've been born from that realm. I can perceive it. I've been born from that realm. I can go into it. I've been born from that realm.
3: I go in and come out when I want to.
2: I used to believe years ago that you prophesied when, yo, yo, he's not caught, whoa. Your sweater had to be doing this right after the worship or in the middle of the worship and then you cut loose with something in tongues or you give a prophecy. I believe now the reason that happens sometimes is the Lord is tired of waiting on you to do something. He's trying to prime the pump, for goodness sake. He's saying, good Lord, you've been saved 35 years. You don't hardly ever come into the heavenly realm. You don't even believe you have access. You don't believe you can see it. You don't believe you do anything. At least you're Pentecostal. You got baptized in the Holy Ghost in 1952. I'm just going to come down on
3: you and just shake you half to death and get something out of you. I thought the only time I could prophesy was when I had the heartbeat,
2: the racing heartbeat. And I believe that any time that happened, no matter where you were or what you did, you cut loose like some kind of a crazed lunatic
3: escaped from the asylum. And I've done that countless times, but I've quit. It doesn't work.
2: Uh, Richard Wormbrand meeting with... Uh, 35 or 40 evangelical pastors that believe speaking in tongues with the devil. That feeling comes on me, I cut loose with the message in tongues. It was really beneficial.
1: <laughs>
2: and we've been taught obedience, in obedience, unless just instant obedience. That's not true, it's delayed obedience,
3: it's still obedience.
2: You don't have to get backed into a corner and do something that doesn't make sense, that doesn't work because of something you've been taught. You can go into the realm of the heavens when you want to. You can lay hands on somebody and say, Lord, open up my eyes that I can see something that will help him. Or I say, Lord, rain down on him through me right now because I know you've got way more up there than you need. Cut loose on this poor man. And that's uh, not... Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> now let me say this I hate to tell you this but the heavens are not going to open they are they're open unless you say they're not then they're not to you but you're just wrong but it didn't change the heavens that's just what you get See, we don't understand how important our belief structure is relative to our encounter with God and our experience. Heaven's not going to open. Because that which God opens, no man can. And that which He shuts, except one door. Revelation 4. I, I said I was going to quit and I kept going. I apologize. Revelation 4, so vital. John hears a voice like a trumpet from heaven. He looks. He sees a door standing open, and the voice says what? Come up here. John didn't see that door open. It had been opened. Since Jesus tore the veil. See, the veil is the picture of the heavenly realm, the holy of holies. Ever since it was torn, heaven's been open. Ever since the Holy Ghost has come down, heaven's been open. But the church is like the church in Revelation 3, where Jesus is what's Jesus doing? Standing outside the door of the church and going. If any man hear my voice and open the door. Here's where we are, ladies and gentlemen. My estimation as far as concerns accessing the heavens, it's like we're living in adjoining hotel rooms with Jesus. What do you know about adjoining hotel rooms? How many doors between them? Two doors. We're in this room. Jesus in the heavenly realms in that room. His doors open. The door of our understanding has been locked. And he's saying, All you have to do is understand, and I'll, although I'm inside of you already and you don't get it yet, it will be as though I came in and we had fellowship and stuff happened. You don't have to do anything. Your belief system changes. It's already changing in this place. I'm not here telling you something you don't really know a lot about. I'm just trying to give you some biblical understanding. Now, here's what we're going to do. How many of you have sown over the years faithfully and you know you have not reaped in accordance with your sowing? I'm the same way. Here's why. We're going to do something about it. And we're not going to receive an offering. I'm not suckering you out of something. I'm helping you with something. So don't go there. Paul said in Ephesians 1 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then he said this phenomenal statement. While we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive and raised us up and made us sit together with Christ in the heavens. Here's what the real gospel says. There are other gospels out there. Here's what the real gospel says. On the day you were born again, God translated you into the heavenly realm and sat you down inside of all the provision you'll ever need. And you access it by faith, not maturity. That's the real gospel, according to the Apostle Paul. Not when you grew up, not when you behave better. How are you going to behave better without knowing the Lord better anyway? Now, if He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, what's left for Him to give us? Then why don't we have? It's because... We have an adversary whose chief job is to keep us in darkness and lie and steal and kill and destroy. So I'm not contending with God over this. But even a farmer, when he sows seed, is that the end of the story? What does he do? He cultivates, he weeds. He waters. In other words, he contends for that harvest to the degree that he's knowledgeable about how to contend for it. He doesn't stick that seed in the ground and run off and go to the beach and come back three months later looking for his tomatoes. He pulls those suckers off. In other words, he has something else to do about it. Oral Roberts told Rick a number of months ago that Morningstar needed to put a demand on the seed they had sown. In other words, an expectation not just giving and giving and giving out of rote or habit, but saying, God, I am trusting you and I am depositing this in your kingdom and I am agreeing with you that this is one of the ways I operate in faith and I sow what I have because I believe you are going to return to me many-fold. Now, when you read Genesis 15, you see that um, God promises Abraham... Land and seed. Amazing promises. And Abram says, I think it's Genesis 15, how will I know you're going to do this for me? And the Lord says, give me an offering. Uh, He brings sacrificial animals, cuts them in half, lays them out. And the Bible says this, and the vultures came down on the carcasses. That is a clear picture of what happens when we give something to God. The devil begins to contend for it. The devil begins to try to steal it from us. The devil begins to try to put roadblocks in it because what those vultures were going to do was either consume it or defile it. Here's what I've done. I have said to my vultures, I command in the name of the Lord Jesus for you to get off my offering." I command in the name of the Lord Jesus for you to back up, back off. You cannot prohibit me from
3: having what is justly mine based on the reality of the gospel. Get back, get off, back up.
2: I'm not contending with God. I'm contending with my unbelief and my adversary. How many of you have an adversary? How many of you know you have not, you have not reaped in accordance with your sowing? Well, let's do something about it. Come on, hop up with me. We're going to go after this for a minute or two, then everybody can take off or do whatever. How many of you have sown? How many of you have given? How about time, energy, your life substance, your gifts, your anointings? Right now, in the name of Christ Jesus, here's what I do. I say every single thing I have offered in Your name shall return to me many times over. And I
3: command every situation, every circumstance, every evil thing, every darkness, every blindness that is somehow prohibited what God has said I have to back up, to back off, to move over, to get down, to get away. And I refuse in the financial realm, penny, nickel, dime, dollar, quarter, five dollar, ten dollar, fifty dollar, whatever it is, I refuse not to receive every single thing God has said is mine. As, uh, uh, as it comes to lands, houses, I command the lands and the houses to be released right now in the name of Jesus. I command uh, family members. I commanded my father-in-law, Cecil, to get saved Ten days ago and he's in the kingdom right now because as I took authority, God set the stage. As I commanded this thing to back up, it backed off. The darkness backed off. The circumstance changed.
2: Now, I do that for me. I can't do it for you. What do you have to say?
1: What do you have to say? If you don't know how to say, I contend for
3: what God's given me. I refuse for my loved ones not to know the Lord. Back up. Blindness, we break you now. Enemy of our souls, back up now. Back off. Release. We cancel your commission against us now in Jesus' name. We cancel your commission against Mooresville Christian Academy. And by faith, we release finances. By faith, we release lands. By faith we release the favor of God. Loved ones, come in now. Come in now. Come into the kingdom now. Come in now.
2: How many sinners do we have in here besides me this morning?
3: The God of Jacob, pour upon us your best. God of Jacob, a man like me, a Jacob. Pour on me your best. Give me your best wine, Lord. Pour on me, releasing me the best. Releasing me the finest. Releasing me the most potent. Releasing us, but releasing me, you've got to cry. Call out for what's yours.
1: Jesus.
3: Cancer. No. 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 Sickness and disease. No. No! 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 Complete healing. Yes! 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 Plans of the enemy set against us. Unravel now! Unravel now! Fall apart, evil, wicked plots and schemes! Fall apart! Fall apart! I don't believe in revival. I believe in the Gospel. Revival's now. Revival comes to the believers. All oh, the lies about uh, revival not being in our country. I demand uh, just retribution based on the criticism of what's happened in our nation since August. I don't even know what I'm saying, but I sure mean business. I say the American, the North American awakening has already begun. The North American awakening—that abortion shall fall. That abortion shall fall. That aberrant sexual behavior will come down and be seen for what it really is. I'm not pulling anything down. I'm not going into the realm of the heavens in the wrong way. I'm just. Speaking by faith. Awakening, national awakening has begun. It shall change the substance of our nation. All right, whatever you need this afternoon, reach into that realm of the heavens where you're now seated. Identify what you need by faith lay hold of it and bring it in bring it in bring it in miracles come now healings come now signs wonders unusual drunkenness unusual manifestations of the spirit outrageous life abundant life overcoming life resurrection power